Welcome to Talk Purpose and Truth, shifting you into higher consciousness, a show that elevates, uplifts, and encourages listeners to grow, heal, awaken, and evolve. Eden and Kim include bold topics, interviews with inspiring guests, experts, and celebrities, intuitive readings, channeled messages, mental health awareness, and hot topics to expand your awareness. Tune in for unprecedented truth, authenticity, on-purpose discussions, and magical moments. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Talk Purpose and Truth. Happy 2024. It's Kim and Eden. Hello, Eden. Hi, Hi Kim. You know what? So I'm going to be real right now. I just thought of something. Uh-huh. So, you know, when we record, we record several episodes at once. And the first one that we recorded, I said to you, Happy New Year. Yeah, but Happy but, New Year lasts like six weeks. <laughs> but, yeah, but it won't be like the new year when, when that um, gets aired. So I just thought, I want to say it again. Happy New Year. Yeah, that's why, that's why I said that. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like people say it for a while. Like, it, like yeah. if you haven't seen someone and it's like January 25th, you still say Happy New Year because you haven't seen them. You know, it's. Yeah. It's, kind of a cool greeting and makes people feel happy so and you know I always like to say this is going to be the best year ever yet not just the best year ever because you you don't want to make it like it's capped out like that's it just this year you know so it's going to be the best year ever yet and it already has been and today we're recording we're going to give you guys a secret we're recording on 111 so yeah even though this will air later um it's a magical day Portal opening, portal opening day where we have to, we get to manifest what we want. It's also new moon. Yeah. Yeah. So double of something. Yeah. I feel, (laughs) I feel the energy. Yeah. It was funny because I went to speak for a group today and it was 80 people and they were just really excited and into being there. And so I told them, I'm like, when I got up to speak, I literally could feel like vibrating and I'm like, you guys, I think I'm vibrating because I just feel all of you, but it was like in a good way, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to tell them because I'm like, what if I'm like really vibrating, you know? And so I think it made them feel good because then it made them go, well, yeah, we're enthusiastic. So then it made them more enthusiastic. So I wonder if our guest who we're going to introduce in a second has had that experience being on the stage in the past. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, let me introduce her first. Um, So Nicole Rogers is a former Rockette. She is now a speaker, writer, and empowerment coach who helps people reclaim their confidence, expand their perfect audience, and bring their fearless vision to life. She has taught her Zen Rad method globally, which teaches you how to reframe how you think, feel, and act from a place of power rather than from fear or limiting beliefs. Her work is greatly influenced by her Zen practice, Ki Jong, nonviolent communication, and her decades of experience as an artist. Her new book is called 13, One Woman's Sacred Journey to Discovering Her Greatest Power. And then just so you guys know ahead of time, she'll tell you again at the end, but you can connect with her at 13thebook.com. And then under Nicole, N-I-K-O-L underscore Rogers on social media. So welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me on, Kim and Eden. You're welcome. Yeah, you, we, you and I do a lot of similar work because that's what I specialize in as well. So that's awesome. Yeah, I love it. I know. I was really excited when I saw you were a confidence expert and I was like, this conversation is going to be amazing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so 
We have a lot of great questions for you. So the first one I feel like everyone can relate to. And I just, I feel like I know a lot of people going through something really traumatic right now, as well as a lot of people who went through stuff like that last year. So how do you keep your head above water when everything is falling to pieces around you? This is a great question. And it actually is one of the main reasons that I wrote this book, because I wanted to give a definition and a framework for these times in our lives where we're just, we feel like it's a tsunami. It feels like a bonfire and it doesn't seem to be ending. It's like you make your way through one thing and then you turn around and there's something else. Mm -hmm. And so that was my experience in 2013. And a, a big reason of writing the book was to offer this teaching and this definition of a 13. So a 13 is a divine storm. And the divine storm is there to help you move towards what you actually want. And so I begin with that because I feel like if we can have some understanding when we're in the middle of a 13 and we've all been through them, I'm sure your listeners right now are like, yep, I had that yeah. year or 2002, 2000, 2016, you know, whatever it was, but there was a year where they were like, oh my gosh. And, you know, just to put things into context, my 13 included a divorce, a devastating divorce, two car accidents, being robbed mm -hmm. and losing a dear friend mm -hmm. to a heart attack. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. So it really was a, a flat line. <laughs> you know, and uh, a massive fire that basically took a lot of my life and burned it to the ground. But then there was this fertile soil that was left that I was then able to build the life I wanted because losing everything made me realize that it was never going to happen mm. in what I had built before. So I, that would be my first entry point is just a, a framing and, and a definition to kind of say, okay, wow, I'm in a 13 and to, and to like ease off some pressure and just say, okay, I'm, I'm in the midst of a divine storm and something sacred and it doesn't make it any easier, but it does allow for not as much self-attack and just to go, okay, I have some idea of what's going on as opposed to just that unending. I don't know. I don't know. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Which mm -hmm. most people, many, many people go into that, um, like victim or martyrism. Um, yeah, because they want to know why, why is this happening to me? Yeah. So. Or people, a lot of people will take it on. Like, let's say they go through the storm and then that becomes their identity and they live forever as a martyr of that identity. You know, oh, this happened to me. So that's why I'm like this. And, mm -hmm. and it was like 20 years ago, instead of like, well, this is happening for me. And I now can see why it happened type of thing. Yeah, exactly. It's what you do with the information. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure we've all seen people that have gone through 13s. And then there was no lesson learned, there was no opportunity, and there was no growth, because they didn't have the tools. And in many cases, they probably didn't have the support you know, to really hold them and give them the safe space to be able to dive in and say, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And so then it just repeats. It ends up being a cycle because mm -hmm. the divine is like, hey, tap in on You're the shoulder. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You didn't get it. So here it comes. Mm -hmm. 
here yeah. it comes. I mean, I'm sure both of you find in your work all the time that with your clients, it's like there is, um, I like to think of them as kind of lessons of the lifetime, mm-hmm. like the pattern that makes itself known over and over again. Like for me, the thing that I keep getting again and again in all of my 13s is to release my timeline because mm-hmm. I love to to put a timeline on and say, it's going to happen by this point. I want it so much. I can make it happen. And again and again and again, it's been, wow, I, I have to surrender to divine timing. And then it comes, but not in the timeline that I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And usually it's after you surrender and you're like, all right, I don't care anymore. Like it'll, I just trust it'll come, whatever, yeah. then it comes, you know? And exactly. so that's so true. Yeah. And I think that there are some people that are so scared. They're either a scared that they would have to delve into painful trauma to learn the lesson. So they just don't and they stay the same or they stay angry. And then some people are just like, oh, I don't want any of that weird woo woo stuff. And then they just like, mm-hmm. are like, this is just how life is. Life sucks. And yeah. there's a lot of people like that. And it's like, well, wait, ask yourself, how is that working or serving me? Is it helping you? Are you having a happy life? You know what I mean? And and they usually can't say yes. So maybe it's time to turn to some new type of information to solve whatever's going on with you, you know? Nicole's book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I never knew. It's so funny because we both are so into numbers and angel numbers, and I never knew that's what 13 meant. Yeah. Yeah. Is it what it meant or is that what it means for you? That what no, that's it? what it means. I, oh. I, I I did research on these numbers. And so oh. in the book, I talk about three specific numbers, 13, 7, and 2. Hmm. Ooh. And Tell so me. I, I want to know about the two. Sorry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing for me. Yeah, continue oh, no, was, what you were saying. <laughs> I was just going to say that it, it was really fascinating to be looking at different cultures Mm. And how different cultures really hold these numbers in such high esteem and sacredness. Mm-hmm. And then to be looking at <laughs> our society and it's like, what happened? You know, like like the number 13 having this unbelievably feminine and sacred uh, history to it. And it got uh, morphed or hijacked into superstition and bad luck and murder movies <laughs> yeah. serial killers you know it's yeah. like wait a minute yeah. wait a minute and then so can you tell us about those other this the it was a two and a seven two and seven yeah, yeah. can you tell so, us a, a little bit about those yeah yeah sure so seven seven is really uh, a number of journeys and that was why i in, in the book the book is in three sections And the second section is really the bulk of what happened in 2013. The first section is the six weeks leading up to 2013. Then the second section is basically the year 2013. And then the third section is what happened after. Kind of like a a resolution to the story. And so within seven, um, you know, one of the references that really spoke to me because I practice in Buddhism was they said that the Buddha was born and walked on seven days. We think of within Christianity, the world, you know, was created in seven days. And so 
I used it in the book as seven steps to awakening, meaning like the steps that we take along the path to that place of peace, mm-hmm. you know, to a place of like greater understanding that allows us to access our confidence, allows us to access our wholeness and and tap into that resilience that allows us to live this human life <laughs> with all of its challenges and and do what we love and create what we desire. Mm-hmm. So seven is a good one. Yeah, <laughs> seven is a beautiful one. And, and number two, you know, it really was so much about the romantic side of that, the, the partnership that can happen. You know, whether you think of someone as your twin flame or your soul uh, mate or just the, 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 the person in your life that just reflects the best and you feel the best around. And so um, because the end of the book really uh, brings in the journey of finding my life partner, I wanted to highlight that number. But in the book, there are also... Uh, Lots of other historical and cultural references that your listeners can enjoy too. Fascinating. So you you started as a rockette, and just would love to hear more about that. That's so that seems so exciting, and I'm sure it's rigorous. Like my my daughters are both in theater, and my older daughter is like lives and breathes it since she was young, and right now she's rehearsing for a chorus line as one of the leads. And she's in like a musical theater school that's really like a prestigious one. And she is rehearsing like nine hours a day, every single day. So she's a drop. Um, So I'm wondering like, how was that for you? Was it like that? You know, how did you handle the stress of that? I know it was probably also very exciting. So what was that like, the dualities? Yeah, great question. And my journey to becoming a Rockette is um, way different. In fact, I I haven't really met anyone else that had my journey because I never imagined myself as a Rockette. You know, there's a lot of young girls that they see the Rockettes and it's like, that's what I want to do. You know, it's something that they work towards and and, and build for. And I just never saw myself that way. And so what happened was I went to school at Penn State and one of the professors there was a huge supporter of me. Um, he directed me in Into the Woods. I played the baker's wife. And he just really saw me. He was like one of the faculty members that I just always felt like, wow, he really believes in my talent. And he gave me these wonderful opportunities. Well, he stage managed a um, or production managed. He was the production manager for a uh, production of the Rockettes down in Myrtle Beach. So back in the day, <laughs> back in the day, Radio City used to be across the nation. It used to be in cities across the country. So you didn't have to go to New York City to see the Rockettes. There were several companies of us. Mm. So one of those was in Myrtle Beach. And what happened was I graduated college. And uh, my my teacher, his name is is Travis, had said to me, hey, you're going to have to come audition for me for next year because I'd already missed the auditions at this point because they were like in May and I just graduated. And so I'm like, okay. And and he said, come audition as a dancer. I was like, great, I'll audition for the dancer slot. So what happened was it's November 
and I get a call at like, I don't know, 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And it's Travis saying, can you fax? Now this is 1998. Uh -huh. <laughs> this is 1998. Can you fax your resume now? And I didn't have a fax machine at home. <laughs> And I lived in New York City and my first husband and I had to go into Manhattan because we lived in Queens. We had to go into Manhattan to fax my resume at midnight. Oh my God. Wow. Because what happened was a singer, they, they had to fire a singer and they were going to be opening in four days. Mm. And so because Travis knew me and was a real, uh, just really believed in me, he was like, you want Nicole. Nicole's going to come in here and save the day. So the next day they're like, can you get on a plane? And I got on a plane, I flew down to Myrtle Beach, and I learned the show in three days. Now, wow. for anyone that's seen the Radio City Christmas Spectacular, yeah, it's no joke. It's not like you go here and say something and go, like, there are lines on the stage, there are numbers, like, it's, it, it, it's intense. It's intense. And so I was replacing a singer. I wasn't a rockette. I wasn't the dancer track. There's three tracks. Singer dancer and rockette. So I come in and I learn the show in three days and I do great. And I'm like the hero. They're like, wow, Nicole, we're so glad you're here. And I was like, well, this is great. And then I'm for the first time, because I grew up mostly in Europe, seeing the Rockettes. I'd never seen them before. Mm. So I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And so I, re I, I finish the contract. I go back to New York City. And I tell everyone I did Radio City and everyone's like, oh, were you a Rockette? I'm hmm. like, no, I was a singer. And everyone's looking at me as a Rockette. And I thought, well, maybe I could be a Rockette. So when they had auditions the next year, I went in and the director was so grateful to me. She's like, oh, you're the Nicole that saved the, the production. Uh -huh. Like, thank you so much. And I'm technically too short. Mm. technically too short by a half an inch but oh that year they were expanding I had I had an amazing audition I had this great history with them and so I'll never forget they were like we just need to measure you and they literally just like put the thing on top of my head and they're uh, like, oh yeah she's good what was it what was it supposed to be five five and a half okay. five five and a half five five okay. and a half and I'm oh. five, five. I'm five oh my god that's so funny so then I went and I was a rockette and it was a real confidence boost for me to recognize that I could, you know, oh, totally. I, I can do this. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Wow. wow. What I love about it too is it's such a lesson for everyone in that how you do everything can impact things in the future. Like you... You doing well with that teacher and him liking you affected your yeah. life later. You helping them save the show affected your life again later. Like it's, and a lot of people kind of just like monotonously go through stuff, not like thinking nothing's going to happen to them. And the littlest things might turn into this big, huge opportunity, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and I have to give the second part to this story. Okay. Which is that when I joined Radio City, it was still privately owned. It was still very much an American tradition. And so what that meant was there was immense amount of respect for the individual rocket. Mm. But then they were bought out by a corporation. 
And I didn't work for them for, I think it was seven years. And when I did return, it was very different. And we used to joke, you know, I'd say, I am rocket number 17, because that's where I was in the line. I was mm-hmm. second to the end on the left. But it wasn't, it was a joke, but it was a joke in truth. Mm-hmm. And so there was a very different feel from when I did it in 1999, from when I did it in 2006. In 2006, I was in Toronto. And it was just, it was um, the energy, and both of you can really appreciate this. The energy <laughs> was much more harsh and judgmental. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was a schedule that was way harder. I mean, we were doing like 17 shows in a week. Oh my so gosh. it was, it was intense. It was intense. And, um, after that, that uh, they, they hired me to do PR. I went on this very small tour. There were six of us. We went out to Des Moines because they were supposed to be opening there. And I did radio interviews and all of this stuff. And then, and after that, I thought, oh my gosh, like, of course I'm going to get my job back. And then they didn't hire me. Mm. It's just, um, I was like, I, I need to walk away from this because mm-hmm. I felt like I was coming into kind of this matrix of um, really like not healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounded like it was, it was a little like judgy and, and uh, critical. And nobody was safe. You know, yeah. women that had worked for them for years suddenly found themselves with no jobs. So the the whole loyalty thing kind of went out the window. And so it really was like, you know, what you were saying before, Kim, about what I did here Mm -hmm. allowed for this. It was like, we didn't even have that. So, you you know, working the hardest I ever did in any contract. And it was like, it didn't matter. It was never going to be enough. And I was like, this is not, this is not good energy. I got to get, I got to get energy. Uh, yeah, I feel like your energy just didn't align anymore, and that's why it didn't work. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they were requiring uh, requiring perfection at that point, sounds like. But yeah. it's really exciting that you got to do that. And yeah. I did notice, it's interesting, because I noticed that three Rockettes were on, like, Today's Show or something I was watching. It was on when I was at the gym. And I remember feeling like they totally talked to them, interviewed them. They, like, did a little thing. And they never asked any of them their names. Oh. And I'm like, they're just like the Rockettes. And it was three women. And I'm like, gosh, like give them like credit. You know, it just was kind of tacky, I felt like. Yeah. And 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 so, you know, now it's just, it's only in New York. So that mm-hmm. expansiveness that was present when I did it um, doesn't exist anymore. So, you know, I'm really, I, I have to be completely transparent and say I'm so removed do you know what I mean? I really, mm-hmm. I, I don't know any of the girls on the line at this point. I'm really removed, but it's changed. Mm-hmm. It's definitely changed. And so, you know, the art form is, it's impressive and it's amazing and it does require a lot, but it's lost the feeling of being a family and a community mm-hmm. and, and really caring for the women because it is, especially in New York City, that stage is made of steel. So mm-hmm. it's hard on the body. <laughs> yeah. Wow. These inner secrets. And is that something that you have to, people have to audition for every season or every year? So you, you're not guaranteed after one season. 
No. Oh, okay. wow. Wow. Big accomplishment. Yeah. yeah. So then how did, what was the transition that you went, okay, now I'm going to write the book and be the speaker and coaching and all of the stuff you do? Yeah. Great question. So, you know, it's so funny. I, when I was in my professional career as an artist, I found that there was this like um, seesaw that happened because I was also a professional choreographer. And I would find that like when I was a performer, then I'd be seeing what's the choreographer doing and I'd want to be on the artistic staff. And then when I was the choreographer, I wanted to be the performer. You know, it's like I wasn't quite finding the balance. And I knew that both of these roles I loved. I loved them so much. So after I went through my 13 in 2013 and I lost everything and I came into 2014, I was 38, a single woman. And I mean, I had been married at the age of 22. So I literally didn't know what does it mean to build my life? Mm -hmm. And so I, I knew that the storm had passed. Somehow I had survived this year and I had this feeling of possibility. So I hired a life coach. Mm-hmm. And that life coach was really brilliant because she got me back to a childhood love, which was writing. So I launched this blog and I'm loving it. And I had this total resurgence in my performance career. And directors and choreographers that had never paid attention to me before, and this is after 19 years in the business, are suddenly like, Nicole? But it wasn't just that. It was also that I felt different. Like, I felt like I could take risks. The perfectionism had gone away. You know, it was like, I was doing my best work ever. And Mm -hmm. so I'm having this resurgence, writing this blog. And you guys will appreciate this, especially Kim. The coach says to me, okay, now you've got to monetize the blog. And I'm like, I I didn't even know what that meant. You know, I'm like, (laughs) I'm going off to do a production of Little Mermaid. Okay, tell me about this on the next session. And so she took me through this exploratory session. At the end of it, I went, oh, my God, I want to do what you're doing, but I want to teach about this transformation that I've just been through. And so it was this really beautiful and organic transition from being a performer and having this very strong desire to be on Broadway. And that was like the dream of dreams to recognizing what I really wanted was to be an entrepreneur and own my own business and be able to use all of me. And so when I went through um, coach training, I remember we did this awesome exercise called dream storming. And it's where you come up with like five parts of your identity. And uh, my my coach mentor, her, her name is Ferocia Knight. How cool is that name? Ferocia. night, And and she looks like me 10 years older. It's like literally like destined to be my mentor. What a name. And (laughs) so she had us put these five identities, like the implementer, the visionary, um, the engineer, the observer. Can't remember the fifth one, but like as stars on the floor. And then in the middle would be whatever it was that we were working on. And so here I was launching a coaching business and I kind of put that in the middle And I realized looking all around that these were all parts of me, kind of like, oh, there was a part of me that was the choreographer. There was a part of me that was the performer. There was a part of me that was an organizer. And now I had this opportunity to meld them all together into my own company and and teach my work using all of me. It was just like so 
freeing, uh-huh. <laughs> you yeah. know, after being a performer, especially as a woman and just feeling like, well, I have to fit into this box. Yeah. Now you're like, no more boxes. No more boxes. So what happened was when I started to um, become a coach, as I started being on podcasts and being interviewed, and I would share the story, the story of my 2013. And it would just create such a reaction in people. And I would see them shine with hope and, and share their stories, you know? And I just, I was like, I have to write a book about this. Mm-hmm. I have to put this out to the world. And so I never thought that it would be 10 years later mm-hmm. that it would come. But as you guys know, when you're building a business from scratch, it takes time. And mm-hmm. writing a book takes time. <laughs> so it wasn't until 2021 that I had that space in my business mm-hmm. that I could dedicate it to writing the book. Well, congratulations. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. So I think we have time for one more question. So I have a lot of clients and I, I have a lot of friends who've gone through quite terrible divorces or heartbreak or, you know, even sometimes the heartbreak of a friend leaving them, it could be even. So what would be your advice to be able to handle that and then to transition in an empowered way? Yeah. So I think you guys would agree that in our Western culture, they really don't teach grief or how to process grief. It's kind of like a, are you done yet? Type Mm -hmm. of mentality. Yeah. And grief is such an important part of the transformation process. You can't skip over it. And it's, so important for the nervous system, for the heart, for any kind of wisdom or clarity that is going to arise out of the loss. So I feel like the the first step is to really create safe spaces and support for grief, for processing of grief, whether that is within a coaching container, a healing container, a therapeutic container, a somatic container, but there is a safe place to just release and allow. And, you know, grief has its own timeline, as I have learned again and again and again. You know, I I went through a miscarriage in 2020, and there would be times that I thought, I'm good, you know, like I, I could be out and I would see a baby and it would be okay. And then a week later, I'd be at the grocery store and there's a baby and I'm bawling and I have to leave the store. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, I feel like it's really allowing the space for the grief and the support, the, mm-hmm. the very important safe support. And so once there is a feeling of, I, I, I processed this, I've allowed it to move through my body. You know, there can be a lot of massaging of the lungs. That's a really mm-hmm. good one for moving grief. Um, and working with those meridians, but then it's to come to like a a tender place of, is there, is there anything that you need to say goodbye to, you know, like having some kind of ritual, a funeral, Mm -hmm. if you will, some way of honoring whatever that relationship was to you, uh, so that it, there is, um, a, a release that's happening with love as opposed to a forceful, like it has to happen now or, Mm -hmm. 
happening through anger or something like that. And then I feel like out of that tenderness and that funeral, if you will, or ritual, that there can start to be an exploration around what have I learned in the loss, meaning the person that I was before the loss and where am I here? Because loss shapes us, but it can shape us in a way that allows us to discover our power, to discover our resilience. So, you know, I feel like that third step is kind of like a tender place of starting to ask, okay, what have I learned in about myself in this process? And I feel like then from there, there can be, okay, now what do I want moving forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. yeah, I think I think most people do feel like, oh, well, I have to, it's a certain amount of time. I have to be okay now, you know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and you are a coach? Do you yes. work with clients? Yeah, can you okay. tell us more about how to find you and different things that you offer? And yeah. I know we mentioned your book, but maybe give it again, the website. You got it. So uh, NicoleRogers.com and my name is spelled super weird. N-I-K-O-L and then R-O-G-E-R-S.com. And I'm a confidence coach and I help influencers, artists and speakers to create the impact they desire and change the world through a powerful presence. So... Kim, you'll really appreciate this because a powerful presence is what you experienced when you were speaking. Mm-hmm. It's that you are alive, that you are embodied, and that ultimately you are okay. Like you showed up as you today, you mm-hmm. felt amazing, and then you were able to create that energy within the room for your audience so that they could feel it too. So it becomes this like amazing energetic loop. You know. So many people have come to me just because of my background and been like, you know, what's the secret? Like, how do you act and all that stuff? And now where I am on the other side of my 13, I would say, I'm not acting. The difference is now I'm me. So this is what I really help my clients with is to access their unstoppable confidence within so that they can stand there and be okay with what it is that they're offering within their business, to their clients, to their customers, and they can enjoy that beautiful energy change, energy exchange and expand in the way they want. So I do this through I private coaching and VIP days. I have a signature course called Powerful Presence where you can actually learn this step-by-step. And of course, there is my book. Awesome. Thank you. Hey. I have another off-topic question. So for some reason, so I get intuitive messages, and I don't usually do this on the thing, but it won't stop. So do you have (laughs) anyone who who passed away in your life or who is alive in your life named Betty? Or maybe you, Eden. I don't know. I just keep hearing Betty over and over. Tell her about Betty. Huh. The only Betty that's coming up right now is I have a very, very close friend. She was actually a bridesmaid in my first marriage. And her grandmother was named Betty. So she is past. Okay. That's she has I passed. grandma. Did you know her grandma? I barely knew her. But for my okay. friend, like for my friend, this woman was really more her mother. Uh-huh. Her mother. And when she passed, it was like, oh, it was, it was, deep. So I have these like 
I smile when I hear the name because I associate it with her okay. and the beautiful relationship that she had with her grandmother. Huh. Because I kept, okay, I kept getting chills and I kept hearing Betty and I kept getting grandma, but I didn't say grandma yet because I wanted to see if there was just anyone named Betty. So I don't know, but she was like proud of you. So it, and sometimes that happens when someone that you don't know that well is just watching over you because you were close to her daughter or whatever, but just like saying she's proud of you. So, and Eden knows this is more Eden's forte. I don't usually do this, but it was coming in over and over. So yeah. Well, now I, now I have to ask Eden, are you getting a hit on anything with this? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute. Now, the only thing I would say is it's okay if you don't know her, didn't know her well, because on the other side, they they know you. Mm. They know everything you, you're going through. But I, I imagine that she probably likes what you're saying. Yeah, she it was might, positive. Yeah. yeah. Like every time you would talk, I was getting big chills, but then it kept saying Betty, Betty, and like like a proud energy. So just just a happy hug from her. I mean, she she was Grandma Betty. Like... Do you need to reach out to her, your friend, her granddaughter? Yeah, I will definitely reach out to her 100% and be like, hey. (laughs) But before this, maybe your grandma was on our show. Yeah, (laughs) I know. But maybe you needed to, to begin with. Maybe so she reaches out to her friend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I will, I I will do that. I love this. Well, anyways, okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Thanks for being on, Nicole. It was amazing. We've never had we've never had a rockette or like a you know a performer in that way on the show. So that that is a former rockette, but still a rockette all in your heart. Um, but thank you everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank Bye. you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> Bye everyone. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening to Talk Purpose and Truth podcast. Find out more at talkpurposeandtruth.com. And follow us at Talk Purpose Truth on Instagram and Facebook.